You're listening to the Seduce podcast with Cass and Kat, where we love to talk about life and experiences that inspire your higher self. Hello, Kat. Hey, Cass. This is a bit different. We've taken off the big mics and we've got lapels on. I know. Because it was a bit, there's a lot going on on the table. There is. We have a special guest. Mm-hmm. So adding that third person, we had to get rid of the obstructions, didn't we? Yeah, and my background is is very different. I have um, mm. a whole lounge room behind me today. I <laughs> love that. It's a bit unusual for me. So we have a beautiful, beautiful guest on today's show, and she is a softly spoken powerhouse. Welcome to Seduce, Diane. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so, so happy to be here. We are so excited to have you. So we want to get to know you. So does everyone else. So we know you do personal branding, Mm -hmm. and that's something I'm so excited to chat about, as is Kat. Mm -hmm. So there's lots we want to talk about, but first... Because everyone, I know Diane, and I know that you had somewhat of a New Year's resolution mm-hmm. this year. Every year you tend to give up something or mm-hmm. make a change somehow. Mm-hmm. What did you give up this year? Um, a great question. I know we chat about this a lot at parties. A lot of people talk to me about this. First off, I try and not call it a resolution Love as such because it's not actually something that I'm usually ever looking to give up permanently. It's more of like a one-year challenge. It's just something I give up temporarily knowing I'll probably get right back onto it in the next year. I know that I will. It's things I love, but you know, nothing I want to actually officially cut out. But this year, I have been stuck between two different things. Are you still stuck? I would say I'm just doing both of them. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's like a double whammy challenge. Yeah. So just to give me some background in the past, I've done alcohol, I've done, you know, streaming TV, I've done giving up shopping, just any, like, clothes shopping. So anything in that sort of space just as a challenge. And Diane, hold on. So when you're giving up things like that, does that actually go for the entire year? Like you stick to that? Yeah. Has there ever been a time where you've cut it short where it gets to October and you're like, no, I'm good, let's bring it back? I'm just trying to think what year I would have started it. I think this is my sixth year maybe wow. doing it. So, so far it's never been. And you were talking on New Year's, you were talking about giving up chocolate. Potentially. Already so that was last oh, year. Oh, it was too. Yeah. Oh, but you would, have, you would have some chocolate things, right? So I would have things that are normally not this flexible, but I just knew it would cause too many problems for people around me and whatnot going to people's <laughs> houses. But I would not eat any chocolate that's like a chocolate bar or anything that's sort of in its like whole form, but I would have things if they were like served as dessert or something that was like, you know, yeah. chocolate as a part of yeah. it or Nutella yeah. or whatever it was. Um, so I tried to not be so, so strict with that one just to make life easier for other people. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But, so but yeah, I did that last year. year. So 2024, what mm-hmm. have you given up? So I was actually talking to Kat about, well, Cass about this. I knew I'd get those two weeks today. It's a tongue twister. <laughs> we were talking about this at New Year's because I was struggling to come up with something and Cass was giving me some ideas. And I said something that I was thinking about was to give up sleeping with a pillow because I've heard a lot about this in general, which Cass told me that she does anyway and is all for it. Yeah, been doing it since 2016. So no pillow at all. We've had this discussion. Yeah, yeah. 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 And I want to yeah. ask because I don't even know where the idea came from. So maybe it came from actually speaking to you potentially. Maybe. I don't know if you've talked about it on here, yeah. but I was toying between that and 
I think I had a few other ideas. And I think you actually suggested Cass to do cheese. Yeah. So to give up cheese. And I was like, oh, no, I don't actually eat like that much cheese. I do love it, but I was eating it before I went to the party, but I'm not sure about it, maybe. (laughs) Um, And Cass convinced me that that would be a really interesting one to do. So that's what I've done. So Ah, I'm treating it like the chocolate thing where I go, it's just part of someone's meal. I'm not going to be that person, but I am giving it up sort of as its whole. I love that. And how are you feeling sleeping without a pillow? So you're still doing that as well, right? And normally I don't have two things and I haven't officially committed to the pillow thing. If anything, it is the cheese thing. But the reason why I have had the cheese thing as well is because from day one, and I messaged you, Cass, about this, from day one, when I slept without the pillow, I was like, oh my God, this is heaven. Absolutely loved it. So I was like, I don't know that I can choose something that I'm actually looking forward to. <laughs> it's not a every challenge. Every single time. So you know that saying about like waiting for your head to hit the pillow? It's almost like I'm waiting to hit the, the, flat the mattress. I'm so excited. <laughs> it's that good. I need Love to jump it. onto this maybe. Maybe I, I need know, to jump onto mixed that. reviews though. Like Boris tried it for a night and he is not such a fan. So He's I think it depends. Fan. I have heard that. It depends how you sleep. So I sleep on my stomach naturally. I always have, and I think it really suits people yeah. that sleep on their stomach. Not sure about I, you. I Kath. tend to do everything. I sleep on my back. I start off sleeping on my back. Sometimes I'll wake up on my stomach. I think the worst part is if you're on your side because your arm tends to fold in while your head's on the mattress. However, it is really great for your lymphatic system, which is like your lymphatic system of your head. So the removal of toxins from your head space while you sleep. Mm, Okay. So if you don't know, Diane and I, well, Kat knows, Diane (laughs) and I met through, well, me being with Charlie, Charlie and Boris, Diane's now husband, basically besties. Mm -hmm. So that is how we met Mm -hmm. for our listeners out there wondering. (laughs) Yes, that's right. And then... Diane has this wonderful business where she talks a lot on personal branding and she is like a wealth of knowledge. She has so much to teach. So we thought, why not have her jump on our podcast and then do an episode or probably do two episodes, I think. We've got a lot to get through. Yeah. So first, Diane, I've heard a few things. I've met you once before, right? And obviously we had a really good chat and you're a very spiritual person, a very empowered person. And that's also another reason why you're on our podcast today. But Cass tells me that you read one book a week. Is that true? You get through one novel or book a week? It is, but last year I actually did two. Oh my (laughs) God. So I did a hundred last year in total, but this is my sixth year, I think, of doing that. So it coincided with giving something up every year, probably gives me some spare time. And then nursery rhyme books. (laughs) (laughs) No, how long are they for real? So up until last year, they were basically, oh, I would say if I had to say an average, probably about 200 pages each, wow. two to 300. Okay. But last year. You're making us look bad. <laughs> <laughs> so hold on. The first question that last comes to year mind. It was more just it was more. Yeah. I'm tired. So oh, last oh. year it got up to about five, sometimes 600 even. Wow. No wonder I say, Cass, that she's so clever. She's, she's so, so much, so much knowledge. Like, like the powerhouse. Powerhouse. Yeah, yeah. Like, absolutely. <laughs> so how do you find the time to read all these books? So the only reason why I even talk to people about the books thing mm-hmm. at all in general is because if you had asked me this 10 years ago, I actually wasn't 
much of a reader. I would sit at a party or at an event and happily be that person laughing about how much they don't read. Like I was that person. It was just not something I did in my spare time at all. I liked it when I was very young, but not when I was older. But I guess it started off with this whole, you know, setting intentions for the year, what I was trying to do goals. And five years ago, I set myself that goal to read a book a week. Mm-hmm. And it was only ever meant to be a one-year thing. As I said, I like to just do things for a year and see what happens. And no intention at all of continuing on past that time. And what I found was because I had made it a habit that it just came so easily to me. So mm-hmm. now when people ask me, you know, how I have the time to do that, I like to sort of just think of it as, you know, how they sometimes say it's not about like having the time or finding the time, it's just making the time. So I just make the time for Mm -hmm. it. A really big part of the time that I find is that I do it in the morning. That's what I've really found over the years now has worked best. So it is the first thing I do when I wake up within half an hour of me waking up. That is what I do. And I find if I do it at night time, it doesn't always necessarily go to plan or I get tired or things come up and I want to be able to do things with friends and family. So I just do it in the morning because I find that later in your morning, as you would realize, probably even more so when you're a parent, but your day starts to become about other people. It starts Mm -hmm. to be about phone calls and emails and, you know, unexpected appointments or tasks and things like that. So what time do you wake up then? Yeah, to get through these. five o'clock. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And, and Laurie, how much reading time do we have in the morning? Do you give so yourself? I normally do about 5.30 to 7. That's great. An hour and a half. I'm also a very slow reader. So that's the other thing that people tell me. They're like, you must be so fast. I'm like, no, I'm not. Not at all. I'm just not one of those people. I've been trying to more recently learn like little tips about speed reading, but I read every word kind of person. I have to go back sometimes. So that's what we all do. It's something everyone can do. Is that like when you kind of scan the whole page, but you've taken nothing (laughs) in and then you have to go back? Does that ever happen with you? Less so now. When I was younger and trying to read, that was definitely something that would happen a lot. lot. Now I'm just very much like I'm doing this out of my own choice. I don't want to just be sitting here like I force myself to do it. It's something that I want to do and I'm doing it for a reason. So I take in Mm. everywhere. Of course, you're going to start daydreaming like when you read, but that's why I find that you know, the way that I structure my reading is that I know kind of how much I'm going to read in the time that I have. Mm-hmm. So I kind of go, well, if I'm going to be daydreaming or having to read the same yeah. page several yeah. times, yeah. I'm not going to get through it. So it all sounds very structured, but it started out actually much more naturally and it's just progressed into that over time as I've become such a reader and just it's been such a big part of my life now. Yeah, wow. That's incredible. So if someone wanted to read that many books, what are your tips or recommendations to getting through? Yeah, I actually wrote a whole blog about this and have a video on And so I think I've got 10 tips that I give normally in this space, but I'll just think of some of the top ones for you. And I guess I start with just understand what your own motivation is. If you want to read just for the sake of reading, it's like with any habit, you're probably never going to keep doing it unless you have a motivation for it. So, mm. you know, people don't run just because they 
want to run, they run for the feeling that it gives them. They run for the fresh air, the energy they feel after, whatever the reason is. So for me, I know that I'm reading for the knowledge that I gain over the years when I have understood some of the science behind it a little bit more. I know that there is a lot of other benefits from trying to get out of it. But one of the other things, which kind of just, again, I discovered really organically is that I more recently discovered that reading is meant to reduce your stress by, I think they say 68%. Wow. And it apparently takes about six minutes to even work. And I did find that, which is why I wanted to continue the habit post that first year, because I noticed the effect that it was having on my well-being and all of those things. Wow. And I realized that that's not something that I wanted to give up post mm. that. So I wanted to keep going and doing that. So understand your motivation. I have gone from in that first year, just sort of reading anything that came to mind in any category to picking sort of key themes for every year. I found that that was a big game changer as well, because it allowed me to really get excited about particular topics and really dive into things and you know you would read one author's perspective and then you'd want to get a different perspective so you can sort of establish a little bit more of an understanding of a complete industry but then your own unique point of view as well in that and I'm sorry I'm talking more about non-fiction books because mm-hmm. that's majority yeah. of what I read she reads goosebumps <laughs> yeah <laughs> I did when I was young yes, <laughs> <not a guy. laughs> yeah so understand that I always say that that kind of creates momentum then so that's going to help you know like if I'm reading in this category that I'm going to have that next book ready to go Mm -hmm. it's kind of like Netflix if the next episode is ready to roll you're more likely to watch it Mm -hmm. and I manage my time as well as I mentioned Mm -hmm. with knowing how much I'm going to read. One tip I did take away from your podcast was reading like seeing how many pages there Mm -hmm. are in the book and then divvying that up by your time or, you know, a week, seven days. And then it tells you, okay, you have to read 20 pages a day. Mm-hmm. So I found that helpful. I started doing it and then my ADD kicked in. <laughs> I do really have ADD. Well, I've never been diagnosed, but. That is definitely everyone's <laughs> yeah. favourite tip. And I do like that one because it just makes it so practical. It's Absolutely. Just, I have to read this many pages or my, yeah. my whole interview goal won't happen, let alone the one in a week. So. Yeah, no, I love that. You know, I used to read a lot when I was young. So in primary school days and even into, early like high school years I like reading was my thing I always made time for it It was a priority and Dr. You know? Phil and Dr. Phil <laughs> in high school yeah but I remember doing if I can just share this story I remember there was like a charity that my school was raising funds for and we did a readathon. do you ever remember readathons mm, yeah. in primary school how many books you can read in a certain period of time and I think we had like two months or something like that eight weeks to raise money and read however many books you can and I read a hundred books in that two months and it was so and I was so proud of myself I reckon I was like year six or seven at that point so you know there were novels but Mm -hmm. for younger people right (laughs) and it was probably goosebumps and Harry Potter (laughs) books and things like Mm -hmm. that but I kind of lost touch with reading after I hit a certain age and maybe boys Mm -hmm. came into the scene and friendship circles expanded and started going out yeah Yeah. I, I found that it really I lost my touch with it Mm -hmm. and I went through a phase of buying books but never actually reading them and I'm really glad we chatted about this topic today because in my mind I was trying to figure out why why after so many years can I still not get a grasp on like 
being consistent with reading. You know, I'll start a book and I'll finish it after a chapter. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll just be like, okay, I'll get back to that. And I never do. Mm-hmm. There's so many books around my house with bookmarks in random pages that I've just never finished. And it's about prioritizing it and what it is that I actually want to get out of reading that. Mm-hmm. So I'm really glad we had this chat yeah. today, Diane. That's, so that's actually put it in read? perspective to me. Like, what is my motivation behind reading the book? Mm-hmm. And yeah. once I know that, then I reckon I'll get through it. And I think I I had very much the same experience. Like I said, in primary school, I really actually was quite a reader in primary school. And I found now looking back, for me, it was high school and the assigned readings. I just didn't connect with all of those books. Mm -hmm. I didn't like them. I didn't like that whole nonfiction or fiction, sorry, category Mm -hmm. in general, the loan of books that they were (laughs) presenting. And it just made me not love it anymore. Mm -hmm. But I found before I did my MBA, I got really into business books and that's where sort of the love just really started because I found what it was that I actually wanted to be reading and I think that's where just my reflection is that that people go wrong is that they're just not reading the right things otherwise you'd want to read you'd want to keep reading yes I do love thriller books I always have do you yeah there was a particular author I loved as I was growing up Diane Ho, H-O-H, and she had a series a university a college series Mm -hmm. so it was like every book was about this, I think it was called Salem University, like this <laughs> university campus and like, you know, creepy stories happening, you know, and I could really delve into the characters because they were my age, like 18-year-old girls, and I loved this series. But it was so hard to get. I would go to every library trying to find them because they were an American author, you know, this mm. teen kind of novels, but I loved them. Yeah, there you go. I loved them. Mm-hmm. I was obsessed. And fiction books are meant to be really good, apparently, for building your empathy. So what you yeah. just said about delving into the worlds is it allows you to do that so that when you actually put the book down, you're better at connecting with people because you're used to having that ability to go into someone else's world. Wow. Wow. That's so interesting. I just learned something. (laughs) I've been learning lots during this (laughs) chat. More to come. So, Diane, you were recently married. I was. In December. Congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) And I was lucky enough to be one of your guests and even luckier that you actually asked Charlie and I to be ring bearers Mm -hmm. at your wedding. Now, that lady of the rings. (laughs) Lady of the rings. Lady of the rings. I love that. I love that. (laughs) And on the day, you obviously had so many special touches one of which really stood out was that you had family members walk up the aisle and each place a rose into a vase. And the rose was from your dad's rose garden. Mm. And then all those roses were then tied together and brought to you and they made up your bouquet. Mm-hmm. I would love to hear more about this. Oh, thank you. Those roses weren't the ones that were exactly from my dad's rose garden. The ones down the aisle were from my dad's mm-hmm. rose garden. But It was actually an idea that came to me sort of later in the planning and it came from a conversation actually that Boris and I were having and we were talking about the table arrangements and trying to work out like our table and how that would work because we weren't having an official bridal table. And something that Boris said along the way was that I had initially had it be, you know, about our family and his family and just the way that I had structured it was different. And he went, but it's about the two families coming together. And it was just something that really resonated with me. And I had it in my mind like over and over again that he had said that. And I think that's where the BK idea stemmed from. And I went, okay, so if this is about two families coming together, 
this is something that we can actually do as part of the ceremony, which is why the individual family members from both of our immediate sides, so my brother-in-law and my now brother-in-law on Boris's yeah. side and our parents walked down the aisle with those single flowers and just the symbolism of it being tied together to me was that whole two families coming together mm. element of it as well. And so we just thought it was also a chance to really highlight those people. One of our goals, even just with the wedding in general, was that just because everything is normally done in a certain way, it doesn't mean that you have to do it mm. in that way. So I was questioning sort of every detail, you know, it's not necessarily traditional for the friends or a jeweler to bring up the earrings for you. You know, that's something you just naturally normally give the people standing beside we you. We were so chuffed. On the day so that they asked us, we were out for lunch. They just collected their rings and then we went down Hutt Street for lunch and Charlie met us there and Charlie turns to Diane and goes, so what's been going on? And Diane kind of went silent. Charlie's like, what's happening? And she's like, we've got something to tell you guys, to ask you. <laughs> and we were just like, you know, where our mind went. And right she's like, <laughs> <laughs> But it was honestly the most beautiful question. Like, I've never been a lady of the rings, you know what I mean? Mm. It was just so You're beautiful. Basically proposing. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it was so beautiful to be incorporated. Like, and a lot of people were. There was much symbolism in your wedding day that you included all these people in in your life into this stunning day mm -hmm. yeah yeah which is why we really wanted to highlight the family with the BK because you know normally they kind of arrive at the event or you know maybe they're front and center but we really wanted to just highlight the impact that they've had on us as people mm -hmm. and that yeah it's about the two families coming yeah, together but very emotional yeah. when you walked we did try down. every opportunity to pick people, as I said, with every detail we went, who is a friend, who is, you know, in this space, whose business we can support, who's someone that would just be perfect for little details. We just want it to be about the meaning as opposed to any sort of extravagance at yeah. all. Love. So the other special roles, like what other little sentimental things did you add into the day? The gin? Was the gin one of them? It was someone? The gin was, that was by Still Life Spirits, which is one of our best friend. So it's one of Boris's best friends from growing up and he has just started that business and it was really, really special to us to be able to have him be a part of our day. So that was the gifts that everyone got as well. We had our gin bar, you know, even the florist who is the one who physically tied the ribbon around the BK and walked it back down the aisle to me. She is a really good friend of Boris and I's and she's wow. been a part of our love story for almost, you know, nine of the years that we've been together so it was really lovely to incorporate her as much as possible I tried to incorporate my dad and my grandma wherever I could because they've since passed away so I tried to make sure that just the meaning in that was also included and in general I was always just asking myself that what was the actual storytelling opportunity in this and how could this relate to Boris and I's story instead of it being about what's the most beautiful thing, what's the most extravagant thing. I didn't want it to be about the event. I wanted it to be about the story. Yeah. Now That's let's just take us back there. You walked down the aisle solo. You reserved that special spot for your dad, even though you would have had other offers from people to stand by you. Tell us more about that. Yeah. And yes, I did have some other offers. So it was something that I kind of knew from 
almost day one, I guess, when he did pass away, we were already engaged. And I wasn't ever one of those brides who had a really strong vision about their wedding prior to even just actually executing it. I didn't have this dream wedding idea, but there were a few details that I knew I wanted from the start. And that was things like walking myself down the aisle after my dad had passed away because I wanted to reserve that spot for him. I didn't want it to be something that I could just replace and you know put someone else in that role. That's totally fine. I think if people choose to do that. But for me, I guess, because I am quite a spiritual person, I wanted to give him that honor. And in my mind, I guess, I just wanted to feel like he was there with me and that is how I felt. I know that's Mm. how the people around me Mm. felt as well that knew him. And I just wanted it to feel like it was a special moment for him and to have his pedals down the aisle. And he had such a strong relationship with my husband, Boris, as well. And it was just a really nice way to honour him, I think. And I didn't want it to feel like, and the only reason I mentioned it even in the ceremony was that I didn't want it to feel like something that people were feeling sorry for me for, but Mm. more knowing that he was a very special person and he's there celebrating with us. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That was very emotional for me that (laughs) day. I'm getting emotional just hearing you speak about (laughs) it. It's beautiful. I also had my grandma's rosary wrapped around my bouquet as my something blue. So there was just little touches like that. And I would encourage anyone who's planning a wedding and if there is someone that is you know, close to you that you want to remember is just try and get really creative as to how you incorporate that person as opposed to kind of dwelling in the sadness of them not being there. Yeah, I love that. I do. Mm. If we can just take a step back from the wedding now and just talk about grief, you know, we've all dealt with it in some way, shape or form, and it's unfortunately inevitably a part of life. How has your healing journey been? I, I suppose that's a really deep question (laughs) but if you could share I know there's a lot of listeners out there who have lost loved ones and just if you could just share a little bit about your way through and how you've navigated your way through that after losing your father and your grandmother yeah so for me I lost the two of them I think it was within 10 months of each other and sorry for people that don't know me personally I was very, very close to my grandma. So she was my best friend in the whole wide world. We spent all of our time together. She lived with us growing up. I shared a bedroom with her. Like we were so close. And so that was already quite a shock when that happened mm. first. And I absolutely did not see my dad's passing coming at all. It was 10 months later. So prior to them actually passing away, I had actually had next to no experience with grief. Mm-hmm. You know, the closest I came to that was probably my dog passing away and he stayed as my phone screensaver for 10 years. That's how well I took yeah. that happening. So I always knew that when this did happen, it was going to be a really difficult thing for me. And I guess I took it, it's kind of hard to explain, but I guess I took it almost much better than what I ever would have imagined, if that makes sense. So I guess what I found was that It was this horrible thing that had happened and truly like nothing I had ever experienced before. I kind of say there's almost life before you experience something like that and then there's life after that. It's Mm -hmm. almost like before death and after death. And what I found though was that from day one, and I think I've shared this with you before Cass, was that I sort of just said to myself, there's almost nothing I can do, but what can I do? And so 
I think I picked up my phone straight away and started writing like lists of just all the things that I remembered. I think it started with my grandma, but all the things that I remembered about her. And I think the list was something like 50 items long and they were actual things too you know her name was ivy so you know how could i incorporate ivy into my life and you know by chance i walked down an ivy covered bridge for the wedding which was really lovely you know what were the foods that they liked what were the things that they did what were the games that they just every little thing that i could think of for both of them and then i went okay this is the way that i can remember them in the day to day and then there was big things as well like their birthdays and when they passed away, I've got playlists in my phone that's related to the both of them or to that time and what I want to remember. And I just asked myself, how could I make their memory live on while still living in the present and not actually just being so far into the grief? I just tried to make it a happy part of my life. So every year we celebrate now their birthdays and their anniversaries as though it is like a celebration. And that's something that I got from one of my best friends as well, who's done that with her grandmother for over a decade now as well. So we go out to either dinner or lunch or we get together at someone in the family's house and we have a proper celebration as though it's something to be celebrated. So they live on in our lives in those ways. And I think about them every day. They're a part of my day. It's not something that I try to suppress and it's not something that I try to wallow in either. I just acknowledge them. I say every morning when I wake up the prayers that I say, the prayers that were on the back of their funeral cards. And as a part of that, I also say just to finish off as well, anyone who is familiar with it, I think this is the original prayer that the whole rest in peace phrase comes from. And it's just from this idea that, you know, eternal rest ground them and let perpetual light shine upon them. It comes from that. And I just say that at the end of my prayers. And to be honest, it puts me into this mind frame of respecting the dead and also then being grateful that I'm in the land of the living today. And that's not something that every person has guaranteed. So, you know, when my dad went to breakfast in the morning with his friends, he didn't know that he was going to not make it to lunchtime. Mm. And that can happen to any of us, no matter what age or your health or you know what you're doing that day. That's just how the universe works. And yeah, so I remind myself of, I guess, the fragility of life from that experience every single day. And I just try and honor death while living my life, if that makes sense. Mm. It does. How would you say that experience has changed you? You you just touched before on, you know, there's a time before death and after death. So what is this after death bubble that you're in at the moment? How has it changed? Yeah, and I think it's it's very similar to what I said about it's just constantly on my mind now. And I think okay. it was never before. It was always a fear I had just because of my grandmother's age. Mm. I never see it, saw it coming in terms of my dad at this stage anyway. But now I've come to accept death as such a certainty in life that like I said I think about it every day but in this way that is really motivating because Mm. it makes me go okay tomorrow is not guaranteed for anyone it's not guaranteed for anyone that I love and so how am I going to treat the people that I love if this was either my last day or they their last day you know what is the kind of person that I want to be remembered as it just has made me I'd like to think, be a better version of the person that I was prior to these things happening because I now see everything through that lens. And I guess if it's something that you haven't experienced, 
quite so close to you, it's easy to just not think about death. Mm. Now, it's like that saying, there's death and taxes. I don't know about the taxes part. <laughs> the government probably came up with that thing. <laughs> but the death part, it is. It's truly the one thing that's it. And yet we ignore it like it's this awkward elephant in the room that we just don't want to think about but if you have it front and center which is what I think I remember once reading that there's I think it's Buddhist monks that say like the ultimate way to meditate is to meditate like on the idea of death like that is what you should be sort of thinking about because it will change the way you live basically. Wow so you've done so much with your personal branding business, you speak to rooms full of people, you've got a YouTube channel, you podcast. How have these experiences shaped what you do now? Mm -hmm. I guess in terms of the personal branding business, I kind of say that my personal values, like if I go back to my core values and what I know my why to be is legacy, which is why so much of that has come out in, I guess, the way that my wedding is and, you know, everything that I have in my messaging. So in terms of personal branding, it really allowed me to have this experience of being so close to death happening around me and think about how I could help other professionals live a life that they were professionally, I guess, happy with, that they were reaching their full potential, that they felt like they were working to their full capacity in the time that they were here and that they were leaving a legacy to be proud of. And so that is what, I guess, motivates me to work with people in that way is that they're reaching their full potential. And in terms of things like the YouTube channel, even the blog and the podcast, if you had asked me a few years ago if I'd be doing any of those things, I would have said I could not think of anything worse. I was not a person that enjoyed public speaking at all. I wrote you know, for a lot of leaders in Adelaide, I was the person that was writing, you know, their tone of voice and their speeches and everything that they were delivering, but never anything that was under me. So even that is, you know, very strange for me. But the thing that I often say has helped in terms of public speaking in particular, whether that is a YouTube episode or someone trying to show up on camera or a room full of people, is that it was that experience of death happening around me that I find has allowed me to turn up now at Mm. my public speaking things and not be nervous at Mm. all because it comes down to there is this quote I always say it's like a Jerry Seinfeld thing (laughs) that he does in one of his skits where he talks about how it's something like 75% of people fear public speaking and the next one is death. So if you're at a funeral you're better off being the person in the casket than the one giving the eulogy. Wow. And he was joking, but it was actually true because it's based on research. And having been the one who gave the eulogy at my grandma and my dad's funeral, I actually had like a different experience because for me, I felt this real sense of purpose. And I realized that all these nerves that you feel for things like public speaking, Number one, they're not necessary because that's just not a real worry that you're ever going to have in life. The real worries are the things like death and your health and your family and friends around you. So I took that into my public speaking and I went, okay, that is to me, death is the real problem. (laughs) Death is the real problem. Health and things around me, that's the real problem. Not a room full of eyeballs looking at me. Like I can learn to control my nerves because Mm -hmm. it's not a big deal. And so I've taken those life experiences as much as possible. And that's amazing. It's motivated me to just not be scared of things and take risks because they're not real risks. Mm-hmm. No one's going to die if I do a YouTube 
videos. Hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) No, that, that is a beautiful way of, I suppose, turning an experience of sadness into something that's empowering. I think that's a really beautiful takeaway message for people. And not a lot of people can do that, Diane. So that's really impressive. Really impressive. 100%. Yeah. So talking about your work, Mm -hmm. (laughs) what do you love about your work and personal branding? Mm -hmm. I guess for me, even though I've done this sort of work now for probably just over a year, it was something that I was doing in my marketing communications and branding roles for about 15 years prior to that. Mm-hmm. I guess I saw a lot of those, you know, secrets of marketing and communication is often reserved for sort of those people at the very top, like your CEOs and your presidents on boards and those sorts of things. But the concepts are something that people no matter what role you are in, no matter what industry you're in, even if you don't have a job, say you're a full-time parent, whatever it is, the concepts of personal branding apply to absolutely everyone. It can apply to, you know, a five-year-old, you know, it's a way that we remember them. So it made me want to really give that knowledge to other people and should sort of share, I guess, the secrets that I know certain people know. That isn't available to everyone. So that's what I love the most is just being able to speak to people from such different walks of life and different industries and different backgrounds and work with them on these things that I know is going to really benefit how they are coming across in the world and the impression that they're leaving on other people. Yeah, that's beautiful. And you're going to drop all those secrets in the next episode. Yeah, I was going to say, this has been a really lovely insight into who you are as a person, Diane, and you are honestly beautiful. She is. It's just been amazing having you on for this first part. I have so many questions about personal branding because I don't know much about it. So I think we'll pause here. Absolutely. And we'll start our next episode in a couple of weeks' time and chat further. Stay tuned. (laughs) Thank you so much, Diane. It's true. You in a room is just like light. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's that's a perfect That's you too. (laughs) (laughs) Until next time, guys. Thank you, Diane. And we'll chat soon. See you soon. Thank you.